Support for this podcast comes from JCPenney. This holiday, our in-person gatherings may be a bit more intimate, and our virtual ones bigger than ever. But no matter how traditions change, what's most important is celebrating special moments with the people who matter most. JCPenney has all the best gifts all in one place, making it easy to send your warmest season's greetings to loved ones near and far. Looking for the perfect gifts for everyone on your list? We'll be back soon with some of our top gift picks. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. Hello, everybody. I'm comedian Shane Moss. Welcome to my science podcast. Here we are. Have a terrific one today. A podcast about the science of TV watching. How about them apples? It's a real good one. Had a lot of fun. You guys are going to enjoy it. And I wanted to give you an update because I plugged uh, the Great Courses Plus last week. The Great Courses Plus.com slash here we are, by the way. And I, uh, I, I mentioned that I was just about to start a course called Redefining Reality The Intellectual Implications of Modern Science. Hadn't started it at the time that I, I just watched the trailer for it or whatever. And uh, since that time, I've almost finished the whole course in a week. I've been, usually I'm kind of all over the place with things. I got like a few books going. I'm watching other talks. I'm maybe taking a couple different classes. And and I, I kind of go based on my mood, which is one of the great things about the great courses. I do have like five different classes that I'm taking at the moment and, and um, just whatever I'm feeling I get into. But this course I've been burning right through because it's real good. It's, uh, it's a really, really, really great um, thorough history of science and how we've come to understand and think about things in the way we do today and so started with like a really great um breakdown of of the world of physics which was a really good refresher for me it's been ages since i've read a physics book and then kind of moved into uh early ideas of evolution and then um genetics and then the uh the beginnings of psychology and sociology and how those things evolved over time i'm now toward the actually i don't know i don't know how close i am toward the end i think i'm like i I don't i don't quite remember how many lectures there are but i think i'm like 30 lectures in or something like that and uh getting into the the history of economic theory and it's done in such a fantastic way it's a really smooth transition through each different field but also kind of connecting back and and showing some of the uh, uh, kind of the um, similar patterns that science has taken through different fields and a, a lot of the stuff was stuff that I have um, learned about in the past, uh, and, and but it was one a really great refresher, and and two put in a different way, in a different context, and connected in in a way that was just really impressive, better than I've seen it done in the past, and um, 
and such a nice overview of so many things. And and I I say this, you can I mean it doesn't really affect me. you sign up for the great courses plus dot com slash here we are and uh, and you get a, a free trial to their entire library and you know at that point it doesn't matter to me uh, what course you go and and check out but I do I do really think that for understanding this podcast because of the nature of this podcast because you know I only have one hour with someone oftentimes they're they're studying something like really specialized in in a field and we try to give like a little bit of history of some of the research here and there and but even in that usually that's you know we try to sum that up in a few minutes and i think having just a a kind of general understanding of the history and science of, of science overall would really help understand all of these episodes um, specifically and just have a better understanding of science as a whole and uh, you know the nice thing about a course like this is you take it um, you, you have a long drive or something like that and by the end of it you you know uh, uh, you can talk more um, uh, uh, fluidly about physics uh, than anyone else. So, say the subject comes out when you're out camping or something like that, you're going to impress everyone with your newfound physics knowledge, um, and all all with just uh, all with just a few hours on a drive if you want. There's the audio version. You can also do the video version and, and watch it in front of your computer and do all the graphics and stuff. I do I do that sometimes, and but I do many of them in my car. It's a really, really cool way um, to be informed. So all of that is to say that you guys should go and check out thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are today and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. After the fact. And I watched one of them, but I didn't watch the last one. But the ones that they made years ago were all great. Yeah, well, the one that they put out on Netflix, I just hit record just because we're going to catch this impromptu banter, uh, which I don't normally do. But (laughs) people want to know what I'm up to and what I'm watching. They do. They really do. Um, So the first Netflix Arrested Development season was actually... So a lot of people just watched a few episodes and then like gave up on it. They right. were sad it wasn't as good or whatever. But if you continue to watch, what you realize is that like it was the it was the bravest television I've ever seen because really? they like basically intentionally bombed oh, for yeah. like the first half of the season. Also in the second half, they could then show you a different angle that oh. made the jokes make sense. So if you didn't stick with it, right? It was I've never seen anything like it. It's like, yeah. it, and I respect that because as a comedian, sure. that's like that's one of the 
most wonderful things you can right. do is like intentionally bomb yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. save it at the yeah, end yeah, with yeah. some line and it's so hard and it's scary to do it and every yeah. day like my my first television appearance my first joke that I told was like that and I have to intentionally bomb and that's why I'm opening my first TV set but because it's a risky thing to do people respect it and then they spread the uh, word about it but that didn't happen with that Netflix season <laughs> right, and then right. and then I watched the new one and I was thinking I must need to go back and watch all of them yeah again because I kind of refuse to believe that it isn't good right but right. it didn't seem that good yeah yeah but it is probably my favorite comedy that's ever yeah been. seinfeld i like uh curb your enthusiasm yeah yeah those are great i'm into rick and morty now i'm watching i haven't of, watched that ooh, it's good it's pretty pretty intelligent yeah you have to you have to get past the first few episodes are like yeah. they're really um they're playing up the it, it's like a um it's like a back to the future kind of like okay. Marty and uh, the mad oh, scientist okay. kind yeah. of relationship. And they're playing up the fact that this genius is also like kind of this degenerate alcoholic. So there's like, there's more like belch and fart noises than need <laughs> to be in right. there. Right. Um, it, it, that, I mean, you it, need if some. You, can, you need, oh, oh, they kept some. They didn't <laughs> right. eliminate it, but, but they, they, they found, in finding their voice right. along the way, they they eliminated some of that upon the appropriate there level. So in the first few episodes, it was a bit much. The reason, listeners, that this conversation makes sense to have is because we're going to be talking all about television today. <laughs> well, probably some other things a few as other well, things. I imagine. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about uh, TV. Um, I have, she was just on Stand Up Science last night and um, was good enough to join me for a little <laughs> impromptu uh, podcast last minute. Uh, this is totally, we're just completely winging it. She's an associate professor of social psychology at the University of Buffalo, Shira Gabriel is joining me today. Shira, thank you so much for having me in your lovely home, especially after last <laughs> night when I probably argued more with you than any other academic that I've ever had. Is that right? I don't think I've ever. <laughs> I yeah. I, I I can think of I can think of one other. Per I had an argument. With a with a professor about DMT and what it's doing to the brain uh, on stage, um, and that's the that's the one other time that I can even remember. <laughs> so you really you, hate TV. You, that's what we're getting at here. <laughs> I, no, it's it's actually the I love it too much. You love it too much. It's the it, so I have here's my relationship with video games. <laughs> Is that I cannot own a video oh, game right, right. console. I can't have any games on my phone. My life would just be an absolute uh, disaster. I just love them so much that I have no self-control, right, no right. impulse control. And I go in little bits like that with TV, and it starts out all fun and games. And then, like day four of watching tv for 12 hours a day <laughs> straight and now it's like this is like a drug that right. that that i'm i'm now like i haven't showered and oh and, and and so it's more a shane issue than a 
than a TV issue, okay. for sure. <laughs> but you have such an interesting uh, take on, I have just never heard research like this before. It's refreshing, I'll say that, because because there is definitely, you know, I've had, I've had video game researchers right. on before that have had kind of similar takes yeah. to you which is I, I do think it's important of like hey maybe let's not panic right right maybe right. this isn't the end of the world yeah maybe humans have fretted about every new technology that's ever come and what wasn't it like Socrates or something that thought books were going to right end, right yeah end the world and something like, like pe- that people yeah. aren't gonna be able to think anymore because yeah. they're gonna outsource their brain to these books they're going to ruin everything <laughs> and they did and they did <laughs> clearly right yeah. um whereas now this is like we're forcing children to read right. books for their own good yeah that might be the who knows maybe that'll be the 100 years from now kids will have to like get out of the simulation or whatever <laughs> and then they're gonna force them to watch tv for yeah for their uh, for their education, who knows? But it it was it was a really fantastic, interesting take, and Thanks. I I I uh, uh, for all my you know I'm a very honest person for <laughs> and and I'm a skeptical person as well, and I'll tell people That's when I'm good. a hair skeptical. Yeah, but uh, fascinating. Thank um, you. I so why don't we? To start things off, to get into this, let's give let's give people a a brief uh, a little a little Shira one hundred and one like a, <laughs> a little introduction. What's your origin story? That's all. That's all the rage right now, right? Are, 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 are you into them? Are you into like the watching the Logan or the or no? That's not an origin story, is it? The Joker, the Joker movie that yeah, just came no, out. Yeah, no, I no, I did not. Uh-uh. Oh, they're they're all the rage these the days. Everyone stories. wants to know where did this come from? <laughs> um, so where did you come from? What's uh, what's how'd you get into this? Um, and uh, I mean, dare to dream. You research TV. You research other things as well, but yeah, researching television. Gosh, if it, it, I, I trained I, all my life for that, <laughs> I, I, I just like I would have paid attention in school. Yeah, if, if I would have known, known the options. That, yeah, yeah, that was a possibility. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so give people a little intro to you. Yeah, so I'm a social psychologist, and um, I study the social nature of uh, the human condition, how people connect to others, and the various ways people do it. And when I was in graduate school, I did work that uh, where we tried to sort of activate the social self in people, and we did it in weird ways, like had them circle pronouns and read stories. And it was great. It was wonderful work, and I was lucky to have really good mentors, and when I left and I had to think of sort of what I was going to do on my own, I was really just struck by how easy it had been not to do graduate school, which was not easy, but to activate social needs in people, like to get people thinking about connecting to others. Like it just, it happened so quickly and with so little prompting. And so it really made me think about how humans are social and how innate it is. And the more that I read about that and the more that I thought about it, um, 
led me to, to this area of research, all of my research, which basically looks at human beings as fundamentally and essentially social creatures who do things that are social without realizing that they're social and who uh, engage in situations that don't seem social to them, but actually fulfill social needs. So, you know, I talked last night a little about this evolutionary perspective. I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, but... I'm pretty close to one. Nice. I'll fill in some gaps. <laughs> All right. So uh, people who are evolutionary psychologists have made the argument that we evolved at a time where human beings needed to connect to others to survive. So compared to other species, we're not that strong and we're not that fast and we're not that agile. So of course we're smart and we have language, but to survive we needed to live in collectives. We needed to be with other people. So at a very, from a very early point in our evolution, we evolved to need other people and to become incredibly social. And that means that these social motivations are uh, so ingrained in us that we're not always even aware that they're there. Um, And so when you think about it that way, it makes you start looking at the world and thinking like, okay, well, what are we doing that doesn't seem social to us, but actually might be social, might be filling a social need? And TV is one of those things. So actually our work started with TV. That's the first thing we looked at in that area. Um, Because it's really an amazing situation where, you know, you watch a show and if it's a show that's on right now, you go every week and you see the same characters and you get to know them and you see what's going on in their lives and it's visual and it's auditory um, and the story grows and you get to know the people and there's nothing, nothing in our evolutionary past that would lead us to develop a mechanism to distinguish that from like a real relationship, from what we know about our actual friends and our actual families. Like our brains aren't wired to be like, that one's fake and this is real. Right. So it feels real and we don't think about it that way. We don't think like, God, I really need to connect to others and I need to feel a sense of social connection and so I'm watching the TV show Friends or I'm watching The Office for that. Um, And that's what fascinates me about it because the more we study it and the more we look at the effects both in the lab and in like actual daily diary studies and looking at what people do in their lives we see that it is social and it does make people feel connected it makes them feel like they're a part of the world and not only does it do that but that's one of the main reasons we like it we don't know that that's why we like it we just think we like it but really at the heart of it we can predict how much someone will like a show by the degree to which they feel connected to that world when they watch it the degree to which they sort of forget their life and become like an employee of Dunder Mifflin or um, one of the Seinfeld friends. The more they feel like one of these people while they're watching it, the more they like it, the more it makes them feel better about their lives, the more it makes them feel connected. Uh, And that's good. And a reason that I am excited to share that with people is that I think that a lot of people beat themselves up about this, right? So they yeah. feel guilty about it because the motivation is so under the surface. They're like, why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Like, am I lazy? Is there something bad in me that makes me not I just want to sit here and watch this? But it's not. It's a good motivation. It's a it's a it's an integral part of who we are as people that draws us to it. I mean, this is just like a truth that I don't want to hear because <laughs> as I as I joked last night on stage, I think it's real, is that is that if I can no longer beat myself up for watching too much TV, I'll really have to look inward at what it actually is that I don't like about myself. And that's scary. Um, I, it is amazing how engrossed, it, because uh, as you said, no one's watching TV and kind of 
thinking like, oh, I'm looking at some pixels right now. Right. And, like, and often people don't want to even. He- yeah, I, yeah. Like, my brother-in-law, he doesn't even like watching any of the like behind the scenes. Oh, cool. Type stuff because right. it like takes him out of yeah, it or yeah. whatever. Like, of course he intellectually knows. Of course. That, but it, you know, it's one thing if you're like watching a soap opera and it's just like, oh, clarinet cheated on the person <laughs> with with their father, and well, sure, that happens all the time. But then you see dragons on TV. Yeah. And. And you can still somehow, yeah. know, a part of your brain can be like, dragons, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's dragons in this. Like, when I watch Game of Thrones, yeah. sometimes, I don't hate the last seasons as much as everyone else. <laughs> good, I'm good. a big fan. Uh, how about appreciate the best show that's ever been made and maybe you had too high expectations. Anyhow, the point is, is like, I'm watching this. And there's a part of me, it feels like I'm watching a history documentary right. or something. Like, this is actually, like, a part of our past. It has it has yeah. that quality. And that, from a, someone who's never considered evolutionary psychology perspective before, I mean, this seems absolutely ridiculous and crazy without the dimension of, of saying that, you know, obviously we just weren't prepared for this there there, yeah. there was nothing in our evolutionary past no that uh that could have no um, prepared us for this no support for this podcast comes from wild turkey kentucky straight bourbon whiskey let's tune in to their one-on-one with jamal a real bartender from old fourth ward in atlanta i really get into the backstory of whatever i'm pouring out of respect there are literally years of experience behind these bottles Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Lenovo. At CDW, we get putting productivity within reach of remote employees. That's why I'm WFC, working from couch and moving everything within arm's length, like the microwave. Lunchtime. You should talk to the experts at CDW. They can orchestrate a more efficient workspace solution using light, powerful devices from Lenovo to keep your teams productive from anywhere, couch included. Yeah, but do they have grabber claws? Whoops. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Learn more at cdw.com slash Lenovo client. Okay, so <laughs> I had several questions come okay. up as you I don't know exactly where to start. One... One strange thing is that we're clearly social creatures. Yeah. It seems like there's talk within um, uh, the culture these days to be like, hey, we got to be more social and connect more. We're social creatures. Why Why are we even having to force it? Why is it, why is it that we, uh, being that we're such social creatures, why do people find themselves isolating themselves like i i spend lots of time alone and i could i could be like hanging out with people and meeting up with friends or whatever and i i spend a crazy amount of time just alone in my airbnb or whatever or getting work done or whatnot and you and then there's also i mean maybe this is a different example um but 
it's odd that employers aren't yeah. seeing this and like why why are we creating cubicles or why why are you having your own you know you have your own office space right. at the at the university and it and it seems like everyone's it seems like humans are going this direction right. of putting themselves in cubicles and offices and isolating themselves and and the, the social interactions that we do have are seemingly a little more superficial i maybe you would argue that that's not the word to use on on like facebook or something like that but right. how, how is that as we're such social creatures why do we why would we ever need to like force ourselves to be like i better get out of the house right right okay so that's a great question and that's like you know been all over for the last decade or so all over the popular media is this idea that people are becoming increasingly isolated and that that's a super bad thing and I, I think that part of the problem is that we haven't adopted our way of thinking about social connections. We haven't thought about it in a way that matches the modern world. So we're still thinking about it in older ways, even though we connect in very different ways. So first of all, people need both. So the fact that you sometimes like to be by yourself makes sense because your job involves being in front of tons of people and talking to tons of people. And we need both as people. We need a sense of connection, but we also need time just to be alone. Both of those things exist. So we shouldn't feel guilty about either one. And some people have a different, we all have different balances between how much we need both of those. But one problem that we have is that as a culture, we've idealized only certain kinds of connecting. So the idea that you have to find a special person, a man or a woman, and spend your life with them and have kids, and that's the way to be happy. And if you don't do that, you've done something wrong. You need to have this group of friends just like you've heard other people do. And if you don't have a group just like that, you're doing something wrong. Now I do, I am married and I have kids and I'm very happy in my life, but there are plenty of people who aren't and are happy too. You don't need, there are so many different ways to fill your sense of belonging and as a culture we've decided that there's just one way and that makes people feel bad that makes people feel guilty and unhappy because when they're home using alternate means of feeling their need to belong or they spend their free time doing alternate ways of doing it they then they feel guilty they feel wrong like I should be seeking out these ways that other people have that are better but they're not better there's a lot of research suggesting that especially people who live in big urban areas, you spend so much time surrounded by other people and close to other people and chatting with strangers here and dealing with people there. You need the time by yourself too to decompress. And those interactions, uh, Nick Epley has just amazing work looking at um, at how people, how, talking to strangers on buses and public transportation. I, I how, had him on the podcast. Oh, you did? Ago. Yeah, Nick is great. And that work... I love because mind wise, I believe is the name of his book that you guys listeners can check out. Cool. <laughs> Sorry to. Uh, no, that's great. Up, uh, just uh, it's Nick, always good to. Yeah, yeah, people. yeah. No, Nick does wonderful work. You definitely. We'll just run through this. I'm just appreciating that you still have a landline. <laughs> What's going on there? We do have a landline. What, what, why? What, well, what's it for? my youngest son doesn't have a cell phone. He's 11. And so we may, we're making our kids wait till they're 13. So it feels like like you have children. You should have a landline Listen that they can you. call. Listen and- to you, pro technology <laughs> person with these. I mean, other. I don't know. It feels like you should have children. a land until like I figure once he gets. 13 is when we let our daughter. So when he gets 13 and he gets his own cell phone, we'll get rid of the landline. But until then, it feels like we should have a family line. Like, his friends shouldn't be calling my cell phone. Mm. 
now? Yeah. Well, no. Yeah, his friends shouldn't be calling. Okay. Yeah. I'll accept it. So, it's just I haven't. I apologize it, it for really, the landline. No, yeah. No, it's, it was a delight. It really taking me back. It right really now. is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, no, right. it's an old thing. Yeah. Okay. You can't so, text it. So, so anyway, Epley. yeah, yeah, no. I, well, that is one. Nick has done wonderful work in this area, but yeah. and um, and we have some work too, more recent stuff, looking at how. Those sorts of connections, the connection you feel like if you are in like a spin class and there are other people who are in it, you may not even talk to them. You may just say hello and goodbye. But there's a social connection, a sense of what's called collective effervescence that you get just from being in a room with other people or a comedy club where everybody's sort of vibing on the same thing. Like that's powerful. And we've done a lot of work studying that in the last few years. And that's a way of feeling connected. If you go to a football game and you're all there doing the same thing, we don't think of that so nobody's like I'm gonna go to the football game because I need social connection but you do you go to the football game because you need social connection that it fulfills a basic need of everybody being there in the same moment and those connections are no less important and less good like yeah there's something wonderful about a romantic partner or a close friend that'll hold your hand and help you move. But there are also costs to those relationships. They require things from you too. They have risks of rejection. So those are great. It's wonderful to have all kinds of things. But I wouldn't say that some kinds of bonds are better than others. Hmm. And according to our research, many people, happiness and, and a sense of well-being in life is predicted by having both, by having those people who you're close to and can be with, and by also having the other things, the TV shows, the favorite shows that you follow, the books that you love to read, the movie series that you're into, the, the bus driver who you say hello to every day, um, the crowd of people that you walk through to get to your class, the people who go to your gym, those things form an equally important way of connecting. And and when we devalue them, which we do as a culture, then we lead to this mindset of guilt and shame and feeling like we're not doing the right thing with our spare time. Mm. And if our research does anything, I would like for people to not feel that. You know, that if you're unhappy, you should look for other ways. But if you're because you aren't feeling your need the way you need to, that's that's something to address. But if you're unhappy because you feel guilty, because you feel like you should be doing something else, even though what you really want to do is curl up with a book, then drop that. What you're doing is great. And it is, I mean, it is funny that curling up with a book, like no one's hating on that. Yeah, that's but, true. But binge watching a TV show <laughs> is like, this is, you're now lazy and wasting right. time. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make sense, really, logically. Huh. I mean, I have to say my feeling is that it does just seem a bit superficial, TV relationships. I yeah. Mean, so, you know, for example, I, I so, you know, I'll, I'll be going home for the holidays. Yeah. Everyone will be talking about the the Green Bay Packers. I don't know if they're good this year or why I don't pay attention, but people are going to be talking, they're going to be excited about this and that. Fine. You know, you have a social gathering, like, okay, like it's maybe we don't all have, it's nice to have this one like common thing that we can all experience. And then there's not, there's not like the awkward silence or whatever, because this yeah. is going on in the background and, and uh, maybe like, this is the way that like a, a father and son can bond because men in the Midwest aren't supposed to share their feelings. And, and 
all right, but it also feels sometimes it does feel a little silly to me when like I I have an uncle who still like hates Brett Favre because Brett Favre was his hero and then like he came out of retirement and played for the Vikings. <laughs> Our rivals? What? How could you do that? And still, like, years later, to this day, is still mad about it. Yeah. Still, like, makes comments about it. I'm like, this is, like, dude, you're, like, 50. Yeah. Like, what? You're, you're, you're upset about Brett Favre? Like, it seems a little silly that you even liked him that much. In the first place, granted, we uh, it's good to have heroes and idols and everything else, too. But I don't know. Some of it feels a little pathetic at times. And, <laughs> and, it, it, feel, it, and it also feels like, a, uh, you know, some like reality TV show stuff. It also seems like we're setting the bar too high for ourselves with, with the... Um, the Instagramming of life, the like whitewashing of 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 only putting our our best highlights and and our best meals and our best experiences up for for people to see, and that's how we're viewing other people's lives. And then we and then we tune in and and we all want to look like. Um, uh, I, I normally say Brad Pitt. I'm just trying to think of anyone else who George Clooney. I clearly have a Brad Pitt thing. Um, but uh, uh, but you, you know it's it's this like imp- impossible standard. Right. Some people right. make that argument um, as well. I mean, I guess I guess those are a few different things that I'm throwing at you. Uh, but it, it, additionally, um, and, and related. There's a fair amount of research that seems to imply that active versus passive yeah. leisure seems to show longer-term benefits for people. Is it, would, would you argue with that research, or, or do you think that they're um, looking at it wrong? I, I mean, I mean, I don't know all of that research. I know when it comes to social media use, uh, active use tends to be correlated with positive sort of outcomes, whereas passive use... Uh, tends to be negative. And, and I think that has to do with what you were talking about is that passive use is basically just scrolling through and seeing people present the best and most exciting moments of their life. And it can be really depressing. And it can give you a standard that isn't real and makes you feel bad. But active use uh, means posting things sort of yourself and interacting with people. And then what it can become it, in the best usage possible is a way of connecting people. Like I use social media myself because as an academic, I spend a lot of my time by myself in front of my computer working and I'm a pretty extroverted person. And so I get lonely if I'm just by myself all day. Uh, and so it's really helpful to me to be able to click over to another website and interact with people, you know, joke with them for a few minutes and hear things. Sometimes I'll post something silly just because I know people will react and then I'll get to have a conversation while I'm I'm working. So I think that there a lot of these things depend on how you use them. And the same thing can be true for anything. You know, like last night you asked me a, a good question about, you know, TV and how if people watch too much of it, isn't that a bad thing? And of course, that's a bad thing. Like if there's passive use of something like television or video games or or even reading books where you're spending all of your time doing something at the expense of other things, yeah, that's definitely negative. But that doesn't mean that using it in, in the right amount for you isn't a positive thing. Just like 
you know, if you spend all your time eating, that's super bad. You're going to get super fat and unhealthy. But no one would be like, you know what? Food must be bad because people are getting fat on it. Like you still need food. Food to some degree is good. You just shouldn't overuse it. And I think the same thing is true. I think we see a lot of positive effects of these sorts of things when people use them as a part of their lives, which honestly is what most people do. Um, I mean, most people that we study use these things really effectively and as sort of a way of connecting that's a little bit easier when that's an on demand. You can do it whenever you want and it doesn't have any requirements of you. And that can be a nice way to do it. Uh, sometimes and connecting with some I mean I live in Buffalo so I have many football horror stories of things that we're unable to let go in this town too and I like being able to connect with other people from Buffalo about that I mean it is silly to go back and and talk about you know the uh, the field goal that wasn't um, but we all we all can connect over that it's a shared identity and it gives us a sense of connection and that sense of connection is such an essential part of being a person that if we can do that I see it as as a positive as as sort of a nice thing you're right it is silly it's ridiculous I I completely understand living in a town that that also has I mean can't we have conversations like this aren't humans plenty capable of carrying on intelligent conversations about real life things that sort of matter a little bit more i mean it just uh i i don't i don't know i I guess i've been frustrated in yeah in in life that that most i feel like our hunter-gatherer ancestors were probably having more in-depth conversations my my sense is from from anthropologists that go to study the ones that still kind of exist, which aren't necessarily, that's not like they're our ancestors preserved in sapphire or whatever, but they might be different than they used to. But, but my sense is they like talk about life a, a yeah. bit more than what my upbringing was, where you just like talk about the sports and yeah, the weather yeah. and it's like all fairly superficial. Maybe, maybe this is just like me projecting my own thing on, on humanity, but I don't know. It just seems like there's so much like now you go and you carry on a conversation with, and it's nice to be able to be like, Hey, what TV show are you into? And bond over that. But then like, once you're done talking about the TV shows that you're into, most people are like, okay, well, I guess we're done talking <laughs> now. And maybe that's not TV's fault, but I do wonder yeah. if TV had an, a, a role to play in, in that. And and I think Adam Alter is his name, wrote a book called Irresistible, which is kind of the history of addiction research and then showing um, kind of what that can tell us about modern like social media use and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And it seems like, I mean, it certainly made sense to me yeah. that like TV shows are great at hijacking our attention because there's a lot of incentive to do that, to sell us things and, and to keep us watching. And you have this like coming up next at, on the uh, you know on the 10 o'clock news tune in later for like the uh, is your plane gonna crash or what and there's like these cliffhanger things that kind of hijack our reward system in this in this sort of unnatural way and it, it, it's almost like it's almost like turning social interaction into a drug it's, it's almost like to me it it feels like 
our hunter gatherers social conversations where we're like them chewing on some cocoa leaves to have a little bit more focus like drinking a cup of coffee or something and tv is the equivalent to like cocaine now where it's this where where it's this concentrated effect i, I mean many of the things that keep us watching tv are the exact same things that say a casino uses on the slot machines so that you'll not be able to leave and lose all of your money so i mean it just it it i don't know to me it seems like it's all well and good if you're um if you're doing it in moderation and i'm sure most people are but or many people are but i mean Actually, I'm not even sure that's true. Aren't people <laughs> aren't people watching an average of like six hours of television a day or something like that now? I, I don't know how much people watch on average. I mean, I, I think you have to distinguish between whether something sure, there are there can be negative parts to many things in life, you know? So I, the other comic on here last night, I don't know if this statistic is true, but was saying something like 20% of couples, there's domestic violence, you know? Which, if that's true, is is horrifying. But nobody would say, like, nobody should get married because 20% of the time, there's domestic right. violence. Like, I would never make the argument that everything about TV is good. I mean, there's plenty of garbage. And, and, and in fact, in our studies, the sort of mindless watching where you're just flipping from thing to thing and you're not really paying attention doesn't have positive effects. Mm. Where we see these positive effects is when you build a relationship with a show and there's a show that you're really into and you keep watching it and you get a sense of connection from that show. And oftentimes those connections also link you to other people too. So that's another aspect on top of that not only do you have the connection to the show but um some research i did with sarah gomillion who is a former grad student uh in our program demonstrated that for couples who don't share social worlds maybe work with different people or have different groups of friends if they have like tv shows that they watch together then they are as satisfied with their relationship as couples who do share social worlds so it's good for couples to have the same friends and to share worlds but if they don't they can fix the bad stuff simply by having these fake social worlds that they share so yeah of course there are negative things about it all I'm all I'm talking about with this work is the fact that there are also these positives when we can build social worlds with them and this isn't unique to TV shows we show it with movies and with books um, and even to some degree with people following celebrities on things like Instagram like you can these sorts of things can fill these basic social needs and they can be not the complete but they can be a part of having a full meaningful life where you feel as if you're connected and I agree with you those sorts of in-depth conversations are also amazing it's wonderful when you meet somebody and you really connect and you talk about important things but honest to God you can't do that all the time like it's tiring and the sort of aha moments that change your thinking like you can't do those all the time either because it's a lot of cognitive work to shift around everything that you think like sometimes we just need need to have easier conversations and easier connections and I guess my point is that that's all right like people shouldn't feel bad about that and if they don't want to do it that's fine too like there's no judgment for people who are like oh I don't watch tv I don't maybe a little judgment a little but (laughs) mostly there's no judgment for that either like 
there's such a wide array of ways that we can do this. And, and I think we just need to be more open. I feel like our society is so stuck on this model of like, find yourself a romantic partner and have a couple good friends who you get, get together with once in a while. And that's the way you connect. And if it's not, then people are left to feel like guilty and shameful and worried that they're messing things up. And if they are, like if that's something they want, then yeah, go for it. Find it. But I think people need to ask themselves like, is it something I want or am I sort of cool with like every once in a while seeing my friends and most nights just hang out and reading a book or watching a show and going to bed like if that makes you happy that's okay mm-hmm. yeah I mean it is it is funny how how much people are just attuned to I guess whatever they're used to. Yeah. I, I mean, I have, because I have a peculiar life, I live out of Airbnbs, basically. Yeah. I'm in about three to four cities a week. I, I mean, I don't, I'll probably get a place again in, uh, I don't I don't even know when, probably a year and a half from now, I bet, wow. is probably the next time that I'll have a place, if I if I had to guess. Um, and, and th- like, that just seems so insane to like anyone yeah. that I tell I'm like oh I could never do that I'm like well I couldn't do what like travel around like I have a nice today I'll have a nice two hour drive where I'll listen to an audio book right get some thinking done write some jokes yeah I just got done uh, you're the second uh interesting person that I've recorded on a podcast today I'm gonna go off do a fun show tonight hang out with a couple friends and then tomorrow go home uh, for the holidays and it's like and I have like great food and interesting yeah. restaurants and stuff everywhere I go I'm like what do you mean you couldn't right, <laughs> do right. like I couldn't go to the nine to five right, job right, that you're right. doing like day in and day that like, that seems completely insane to me yeah um and uh, so so it's, it is funny that it's I don't know Some, sometimes it's just whatever people are used to um yeah. all right shifting gears that's just a little me venting because so many people are like, are you crazy? Um, but anyway, documentary or reality television show. Is there actually a difference in you know people's experience of watching something that's like educational uh, versus something that's just like purely entertainment? Um, it, I I don't know how you'd measure that. Is there any like, you know, long-term effects of people reporting having enjoyed that more, that sticking with them afterwards? Or do you have a sense? Yeah, so that's a great question. And and the simple answer is I don't know. Um, But for the work that we do, what we tend to look at are shows that people watch that have some kind of narrative arc to it. So... um, and, and and that's mostly what people watch. So people spend most, you know, if you look on average at what people are reporting watching and what gets the highest ratings, um, they do tend to be things with a narrative arc. And and those can be reality TV shows. Um, I don't watch. Well, I watch Survivor, and that they do manage to always build like a narrative arc in that every season. Um, and I I don't watch like the, the housewife shows, but I know that those do. I mean, people adore those, and they have stories and they definitely have characters that people get into and those sorts of things can make you feel like you're a part of a world and that can fill a social need <sighs> i know i know it's, it's just like I you, know. you know i 
it, it's just also like knowing the behind the scenes oh, of yeah. like how how it's actually you know all these lines are written for them but by not like in Survivor, a bunch of right? writers in LA <laughs> that, that are like cueing them with like I have I have friends that have like written on shows like yeah. Duck Dynasty oh, or, yeah, yeah. or whatever and and and, and Oh my! It's just like hilarious on so yeah. many levels to me that someone's like, "Man, I really, uh, the the <laughs> the these these duck hunters, I, I, I they they really have my number. They're talking about like these liberal elites. It's yeah. a liberal elite writing the line <laughs> about liberal elites, like as a joke to themselves. Is that, that right? Like, put, yeah, that they're like putting in the mouths of these idiots, oh and then God. and then people are and then, and then people are see. Uh, I mean, it's just ah, it's it's crazy to me. There's and, yeah. and another another fun thing you might get a kick out of that a lot of people don't know. If you listen to the the radio like a morning zoo and mm-hmm. uh and someone calls in with like some wacky story of yeah. like some relationship thing that's a comedian oh uh, is that pl- right playing a part there's like a list of like parts and then <laughs> uh, and then they call in and like do a character and like get paid 50 bucks or whatever really for calling it yeah yeah oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah. people don't know so, so i mean it's just like so people are like this is reality television and it's like very far from reality oh yeah uh so anyway i i'm just uh, i i i get off on tangents sometimes but you mostly do narrative arcs so in your so in your studies like what's a what's an example of a of a program that um that that someone's coming in to watch uh, I mean, you know, people write about all of the shows or report on watching everything that they watch. So it's probably whatever shows are most popular oh, at the time that people would. When we have people in the lab, we haven't manipulated, had them watch TV shows in the lab, but we have had them read. So we had people come in and read uh, from Harry Potter mm. or we had them come in and read from Twilight and looked at, at how they assimilate the groups uh, from reading those. So then we're able to... <laughs> you were you were hilarious <laughs> last night, by the way. And, and props to you for not reusing your joke, which you, you should have done, uh, which is <laughs> that you, you said the, the Harry Potter and Twilight, you said last night the Harry Potter was, what did you say, the lucky group? Yeah, well, I think the Twilight like... was definitely the bad condition. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. So, I mean, we have like a threat condition a good condition in the lab for other studies so the twilight was definitely the threat <laughs> one the poor people that had to read twilight but we ran that study back when it was a relatively popular book it did not hold up the way the harry potter books did uh-huh. um yeah, uh, but I mean, so sometimes we do manipulate it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be something that somebody is attached to in order for them to become a part of the world. And in fact, Twilight's a great example because a lot of our participants were like, I hate this book, I hate this series, I can't believe I just had to spend half an hour reading it. And yet they did, on our cognitive measures, become more vampire-like, even though they didn't enjoy reading it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, our brain really quickly assimilates groups that we're presented hmm. with. So if we read, re- Carrie Kawakami in um, Toronto has this great research showing that like you can prime people with pictures of Asians. Like they're not even looking at the Asians. They're supposed to be focusing on the chairs they're sitting on, but they're Asians on the chairs and they mm-hmm. see one after the other. And then you give them a task where they associate the self with Asian or white and they actually feel more Asian just after seeing a bunch of pictures of Asians, all mm-hmm. these white kids from Toronto. And that's 
because again, we're just wired to be social. Our brains yeah. just do that. So we see another group and we become it. And not only that, but that feels good to us. You know, and it can lead to bad stuff. I mean, you see the increasing tribalism in the world. Like those are negative effects mm-hmm. of us being so quick to assimilate and 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 identify. But the basic effect itself is there because we're incredibly social and it can feel very good to watch a show and read a book and watch a movie and feel like that and I think people often don't realize that that's part of why those things are so enjoyable like they don't realize consciously I think when you explain it usually when I tell people this they're like oh yeah that makes sense but until it's presented to them we don't think about it that way but once once we hear about it, I think, or maybe not to you, <laughs> you don't seem to like it as much, but most people are like, yeah, I get that. Like, I understand how after you finish reading a book, like you sort of, you're in that world a little bit, or you watch a show and you sort of, you feel a little different when you turn it off because you've assimilated it and that assimilation feels good. And there's nothing, I mean, you could say like, oh, that's hijacking your brain system, but I don't think of it that way because it makes us feel good as long as you're not overusing it to the detriment of having other kinds of bonds, which most people don't. Most of our participants in all of our studies using student samples and national samples, it's, it, most people use it just as another way of connecting, as a part of a normal, healthy life where sometimes you come home from a long day and the last thing you want to do after working super hard is have one of those awesome, engaging conversations you were talking about before. Those are great, but you don't want it after like a 10 hour day of dealing right. with like BS at your work. What you want to do is connect in an easy way. You want to turn on the TV or maybe even open an old book that you've read before just to get that feeling of connection. And it's okay that you want that, you know, mm. like it's, it's healthy and it's normal. And as long as people don't overuse it, um, people shouldn't feel bad about it. Hmm. So in, in terms of when you kind of talk about some of the like social mirroring stuff that we do, or even, you know, from evolutionary uh, psychologists sometimes talk about like say mate copying, um, kind of getting a, getting a sense of who the valuable mates are just based on what other people are into. And, uh, and TV is kind of providing some of that, um, uh, for us, you know, and so, I mean, that makes a lot of sense that we learn about ourselves and start see, relating to the things that we're watching on TV more. But what about something like violence on, on TV? Is that actually making people more violent then because of the, these mirroring effects? My, when I've talked to video game researchers in the past, Maybe they're biased themselves. They're they're pretty pro video games, um, but it seems like there hasn't been any like studies that bear out that show that you know playing a first person shooter makes kids any more violent than if they're playing uh, you know any other kind of uh, um, Farmville or something like that. Um, but but if we are mirroring, there must be some priming going on. So so are there um, are there destructive influences on on television as well? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, yeah, I, I, all the research that I know about aggression is consistent with what you were saying that um, that there isn't evidence to suggest that playing those sorts of video games actually leads people to become more aggressive or watching aggressive acts on television. 
translates to being more aggressive in life. But you could certainly imagine how it could if you identify with a certain group uh, and they are more violent, that it could prime those sorts of thoughts in you. There's no data showing that that ever happens. Um, And we haven't been able to get those sorts of things to translate into real behaviors in the lab. So we haven't looked at it in terms of negative behaviors. But thus far, when we've tried to look even at positive things, like will people be more helpful um, when they have uh, been exposed to you know, more helpful sort of people in TV shows. So far, at least in our lab, we haven't found that. What people have found, which which is a good thing, is that when you get... Um when you watch these TV shows and you feel like you're a part of these worlds, if those worlds are more um, representative maybe than the world that you live in, so if you're getting exposed to people of color in those worlds but not in the world that you live in or um, gay people or uh, anybody who's different from you, there is actually really cool evidence suggesting that those things do actually decrease prejudice levels in people. Mm. So there is evidence of some positive effects where, and it isn't, it isn't shows that are like lecturing you that are like, look at everybody getting along and how great it is. It's just that they happen to have different people on them. And so there's there's experimental work and then there's correlational work. You can look at shows like Will and Grace and you can see like huge shifts that happen right around the same time that shows like that get popular. Mm. Um, and MTV, actually, there's really cool um, correlations between, you know, they introduced gay characters on that real. Remember the real world? Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's still a show, but it was like a huge thing. And they had that was gay like char- the first reality. TV right, right. Show, basically. And they had gay characters right from, I think, I don't know if season one, but certainly starting from season two or three, there were, there were gay characters. And that was just sort of a part of the show that there'd be somebody who was gay on the cast. And you can see huge changes in the sorts of demographics mm. that watch those shows in terms of just acceptance. I mean, the how far we have gone in terms of attitudes towards homosexuality is it's sort of unprecedented to have this shift where gay marriage has now become a normal thing where it was really seen as as like a fringe idea even, even by people who called themselves liberal 15, 20 years ago. And you can see that that is mirrored by the inclusion of gay characters on TV. Now, obviously, that's not an experiment. We can't look at that. But there are actually some experiments where they do expose people to these um, sorts of shows with diversity. And there you can see. Mm. So... It's a great question you have as to whether there can be negative effects too. And honestly, I don't know. I haven't seen evidence, but it's sort of difficult for me to sit here and tell you like, oh, look at all these great things and be like, oh, but nothing bad could happen because that seems unlikely, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic if reality television helped, um, helped the gay movement get their rights, but also uh, reality television got the current president elected as well. So, you know. Yeah, and we actually have data on that. So my students and I had a paper published uh, where we looked at um, before Trump became president. So this was after the election, but before the inauguration. Uh We um, looked at a sample of adults from all over the country, and we measured how much they watched The Apprentice, if they watched the show, and how much they watched it, and also if they voted for Trump or Hillary. And if who they voted for before so if they were Obama voters and we found a pretty strong effect that the more people watch The Apprentice the more likely they were to have actually voted for Trump and the more likely they were to have um, ignored the more uh, 
extreme things that he said before. So mm-hmm. those people were more likely to be like, yeah, he's talking about a Muslim ban, but that's probably not going to happen because the same way that like if you knew somebody for years and you knew them as this great businessman and this wonderful guy and then someone's like, oh, but they said this other thing, you'd be like, ah, oh, they didn't mean it. I've, you know what I mean? Yeah, if your best friend like, said some weird thing one night, you'd be like, yeah. Yeah, they're just horribly racist <laughs> well, they're, yeah. Like, yeah, so, you know. So what we found is that people, they discounted those things the more they watched the show. And this effect was strongest for those Obama voters who then voted for Trump. Mm. So those people, like that's a big question a lot of people have had is like, how did that happen? These people who voted for Obama twice and then voted for Trump over Hillary. And a really strong predictor for that in our data was watching The Apprentice. Those Obama voters who watched many seasons of The Apprentice were way more likely to have voted for Trump. And to feel like they really knew him as a person and and sort of bonded with that image of him that was presented for those years. So you're right that actually we have uh, a couple of papers now where we looked at that exact question. That's amazing and troubling. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I just assumed that Trump got elected because people were upset there there was a black president in office for and i'm sure that was a big part of it too but uh i had no idea that there was people that voted for obama oh yeah and liked obama and then yeah, twice. saw donald trump and we're like yeah that guy like i didn't i didn't realize that was a thing yeah and he wouldn't have won without those votes i mean he wouldn't have won without a lot of things because it was so close right Right. so you can look at like a hundred different factors (laughs) and it's you know and people have there are many things that led to trump's election it's an interesting thing to think about in any close race because you can find a million things that could have moved it one way or the other (laughs) but for sure I believe one of those is The Apprentice. Like our data are strongly predictive that that it really did push some people over. And and in a in a in an election that was a landslide, that wouldn't be an issue, right? But in yeah. one where it was decided by a, a sliver of yeah, voters yeah, in these right. swing states, it's it's an issue. That's amazing. Um, all right, so uh, I absolutely um, think that you know I have a pretty fortunate life in that uh i i get to meet a lot of interesting people and i have i i get to have as fulfilling as a social life as i can possibly bear um and a lot of people don't have that Uh, a a lot of people feel pretty isolated and alone and um amazing that social media can um, provide an outlet for especially people that maybe feel like outcasts or feel yeah. very different and are yeah. able to or even people that say are going through like um, MS or something uh, you yeah, know some yeah, condition yeah. they're able to find this network on the I mean there's there are so many incredible um, positive ways of, of connecting I, I am Certainly not against the internet. I think it's maybe the single greatest human in innovation that uh, that there has been in all of our history, perhaps. But there's also what about some of uh, some social pressure being a, a little bit negative, and, and I, I don't know exactly how to ask what I'm trying to ask. So I'll just say, um, part part of the going back to the addiction of uh yeah of of different um uh video games and, and stuff the, the book that i was reading one of the things that um 
the point that Adam had made in his book um, Irresistible was was the the game the world of Warcraft. One of the reasons why it's uh, so quote unquote addictive is because of the social pressure. Like you you need to. I might not feel like playing World of Warcraft tonight, but I, I've never played, so I'm I'm going to sound like i don't know what i'm talking about right now but but like the the group that i'm yeah you know, i'm in like some team gosh i must sound like such an old man right now <laughs> I, I, I don't know any I, better I, I i guess i'm in like some team with Sounds other with other players <laughs> yeah. right and and we like got to get together to do some raid or something yeah. at, at like 8 p.m tonight right, and we right. all need to be there and there's all so there's all this social pressure to do that likewise there's um especially with with netflix now there there is this pressure to like well when the new exciting show comes right, out right. i better binge watch the entire thing or i'm left out on the dark yeah. in in the social conversations at work or my twitter jokes or whatever aren't going to <laughs> land right, because right. because everyone watched the show a month ago and right. i'm so be far behind this is old news what's what's even the point of watching something if you don't don't get to like comment on it along yeah, with yeah. every with everybody else. Do yeah. You, have you you have any thoughts on that? Is that that anything that you've ever seen any research on or looked into some of some of kind of the negative social pressure for, for uh, to watch more things than we otherwise would? Yeah, we haven't looked at that, but that's a great question, and I like how it's sort of taking the same motivation that we have to feel connected to other people and to feel like we're because even just, you know, having the good joke on Twitter, that's a connection. Like that's feeling like you're you're a valued member of that community and, and that's important to us. And so those sorts of desires can definitely lead us astray sometimes too. I mean, they can lead us to you know, doing things that we don't want to do because others are doing them. Our social psychology is littered with studies showing that people engage in behaviors that they otherwise would not and maybe even behaviors they would find deplorable because of the social pressures from others. So that definitely happens. And um, and I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the reasons it happens is because we don't appreciate just how strong and important social motivations are. So we don't even know that we're being pushed in that direction. Like if we sort of knew, if we said to ourselves like, oh, this is because I really want to connect. And so that's why I'm doing this. Then it would give us like an additional tool for not doing it. It would give us like, okay, maybe I'll go hang out with other friends or maybe I'll find a group on the internet that doesn't play this game and spend some time with them. Um, But I think because we underappreciate just how social we are and just how unconscious those motives are it makes us really um it makes it really likely that we that we can be pushed around in ways that are bad and again you see this our current political situation where people are so divided and they dehumanize each other on both sides to such a large degree and that happens because I believe a big part of that is our very social minds and us not appreciating that that pressure is also leading to negative things. I mean, part of the reason that prejudice and discrimination um, and dehumanization exist is is due to our social nature as well, of needing to feel strongly about our group. So yes, 100% yes, negative things can happen because of it. Um so yeah, I, I agree with you that I guess I'm saying that negative things can happen. Yeah. I guess within our research, what we have looked at mostly are that 
some of the things that we do that we don't understand the motivation of, we we would have more of a, an appreciation for if we understood the social motivation. So I would feel less guilty about the TV and movies and the video gaming if I appreciated that it was filling a fundamental need. But also, on the other hand, with what you're talking about, maybe I would be less likely to be susceptible to pressures from groups if I knew why those pressures were so important to me. If it wasn't just this like this internal feeling of, oh, I have to do this. If I could say to myself, I want to do this because of this. The first step always is understanding our motivations when we want to change our behavior. Listen to you talking about mindfulness all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. That's an inside joke for us. Um, <laughs> I, uh, um, I have a career. So... <laughs> So I, uh, uh, by the way, I have my guests each week um, plug a nonprofit of their choice. Did you have one in mind? I do, I do. So um, there's a wonderful nonprofit here in Buffalo called Stitch Buffalo, and Stitch Buffalo works with refugee women. So we have a large refugee population here, and um, they teach women, uh, refugee women, all kinds of different textile arts, and then they use different textiles that they upcycle to create really cool, beautiful products, which the women can then sell and support themselves and support their families hmm. through this economic empowerment. So they have women from all over the world in this organization organization right now. They've got uh, women from many different countries that are here as refugees, dozens of women from um, Burma, Nepal, Thailand, Angola, all over the world who ended up in Buffalo and they learn to use these materials and then people donate materials. Sometimes they sell them off so that they can support the women. Sometimes they give them to them. They have an Etsy shop, Stitch Buffalo shop on Etsy. And you can also find it just uh, stitchbuffalo.org and they take donations. And it's really amazing because they're doing great things for the planet by upcycling all of these materials and they're also taking people who are new to this country and helping them build community and have employment have ways to support themselves so it's it's amazing I mean it's really just an amazing local organization that's fantastic and as um uh, lastly as uh as as your um, as your son is uh, <laughs> eavesdropping into uh, here when he's finally going to get a cell phone, well, I, I'm curious what, what's what's the TV rule situation like in this house. My husband is the gatekeeper on the TV because okay. I'm a big TV lover and my kids and I watch TV together. So it's sort of like a once everything's done, the homework's done, we're all ready for the next day, the teeth are brushed. My son and daughter and I like to sit down and watch shows. So we watch The Good Place and we watch Survivor together. Mm. There's a, a show that's not on anymore called Once Upon a Time that's real fun. Mm. So I yeah. I heard good things about it. That's like the fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's great with middle stuff. school age kids and my son and I are working our way through the Marvel movies too I never watched those so last oh, night we watched never, one of those what yeah, you, yeah that seems like such an investment I mean I've yeah seen, we've I've gone one by one yeah oh wow well first he wanted to see the last ones in the movie theater so I went with him and I spent the whole two and a half hours being like who's that why do you do that? Where'd those people go? What's going on? Yeah. So we were like, okay, you can't just start at the end. So I we mean, went back. You can find an order to watch them yeah. online. So we've worked and our then way gotta, through. you got to watch The Shield or something like that. Too. Oh, I don't know. Like we haven't the, done that. I think there's like a Marvel TV show. Or oh, yeah. We're not going like there. Whole, this is as much as I, I mean, can do. I mean, it seems like a... It's a universe. It, it is. Isn't it, it is. like 40 movies or something? I, I mean, I can't remember. Crazy. But yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Um. Well, cool. Well, good luck. Um, <laughs> on that adventure. 
I hope you find it very socially rewarding. <laughs> it's a good bonding experience with the boy. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank for you. This was me. fun. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week. Hey, everybody, it's Elaine Welteroth, and I'm hosting a new podcast called Built to Last by American Express, where we will dive deep into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Our debut season will focus on Black-owned small businesses that need our support now more than ever. In each episode, we feature the story of a Black business trailblazer that has inspired a modern Black-owned business. First up is Pinky Cole of Atlanta's food truck turned restaurant, Slutty Vegan. We'll also chat with Hanifa Muemba, the cutting edge designer behind the Hanifa 3D digital fashion show. Plus, we'll check in with Issa Rae, our modern day renaissance woman. We hope that it encourages all of our listeners to support these businesses as well as the black owned businesses in your own communities. Tune in for these amazing stories and others on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's JCPenney here, back with some great gift ideas for everyone on your list. And they're all available now at your local JCPenney or online. Need gifts for her? Check out our selection of diamond jewelry that's sure to put a sparkle in her eye. Or help her cozy up at home with pajama separates and super soft slippers. For him, try JCPenney's grooming products like shave sets and trimmers. Or compliment his style with smart flannels and jeans from brands like Arizona, Levi's, and more. Also, stop by Sephora inside JCPenney to find top fragrances for both him and her. For the kids, shop this year's must-have toys and games for all ages. Or bring smiles to all with matching sleepwear sets for the whole family. And for everyone else on your list, share some warmth with a heated blanket, an ultra-cozy scarf, or let them decide with a gift card. There are so many ways to share the joy this holiday season, and so many ways to shop JCPenney. Visit a store near you, pick up curbside, or go to jcp.com. Joy, comfort, peace. JCPenney. Next week on the show, part two of the Fort Worth podcast, part two of four. Decided to space them out, do them every other week, just so it wasn't four weeks in a row of the same um, kind of episodes and mixing other topics in uh, but a real fun one loved all four of those episodes so you can look forward to those and got a lot of cool other nature stuff coming up in the future as well and uh, if you want to support the show you can go to libro.fm for all of your audiobook needs you're also supporting your local independent bookstore as you get to select the bookstore of your choice and half of the profits are split through them your audiobook is downloaded through your local indie bookstore and with offer code here we are you'll get three months for the price of one month and you'll be supporting this podcast because i'll get that first payment that you put in there hooray and then uh they're hoping uh, that you guys are gonna like the product so much that you're gonna stick around after that three months i imagine you will but you can have a nice three month trial period all for just about fifteen dollars and uh, go to libro.fm offer code here we are you can always go to the here we are podcast.com website to learn more um uh, 
October 2nd through 9th, I had, I, I'm on my way to Jamaica, and I had a lot of people asking when the next one is going to be, and uh, decided to do one, decided to do a second one um, this year, just because we have the Head Talks tour going on, and it's kind of a ideal audience to spread the word for, um, I, I kind of go back and forth with uh, how how feasible I, I would like to do more of these retreats personally but I, I also don't want to I try to separate that my psychedelic advocacy from my science stuff a bit from my regular stand-up a little bit and so because of that it just kind of depends on what else I have going on tour wise and everything so I think it will be a, a nice um, uh, head talks will be a nice way of spreading the word for that as well as a uh, a cool opportunity for people to hear about and so check that out outside of that i'll uh, maybe i'll i'll record an episode in in jamaica or something so you guys can hear more in i don't know when that would come out a few weeks or something like that we'll see uh, a lot of things up in the air right now so check shanemoss.com and go to the show dates and you can see where I'm doing stand-up science, where I'm doing head talks. I do have four weeks of, of um, regular stand-up booked like at, at, uh, at comedy clubs, four weeks for 2020. And that's my goal is, is to uh, cap it at that. Uh, my, my goal for this year is to only do four weeks of, of comedy clubs and focus all the rest of my effort on doing stand-up science and head talks because uh, I, I just, I frankly, I just like doing them more. I love the audiences that come out more. Um, I think they're just really novel and interesting. It keeps me on my toes. I get to improvise so much. I get to meet so many uh, cool, interesting professors and researchers doing it, and the audience just has a blast. And so, um, and, and comedy clubs can be, depending on what part of the country you're in and how well the club is run, that's actually the biggest People are always like, oh, is it different in other places? The biggest determining factor in how good a comedy club is is simply how well it's run. It's not it's not necessarily the city that it's in. And so um, so because I'm, I'm only picking four club dates, I'm, uh, I, I picked my uh, four of my favorite clubs. So I'll be, I'll be coming up in Royal Oak, Michigan, in Madison, in Grand Rapids, and in San Diego for those as well. And then I'll keep you apprised of more. But there's a whole bunch of dates, and we're adding more all of the time. Now adding some more stuff for March, but have basically all of April and May pretty much filled in. Still waiting for a couple ticket links and, and confirming a couple things here and there. But you can get a pretty good sense of the whole first half of my year. Um, and, uh, and we're kind of just about to start moving into booking the summer. So still trying to figure out what that's going to look like. And if I'm maybe going to do some international stuff. Haven't, uh, haven't quite figured it out 
just yet. So, uh, so keep checking back, and it's always a good idea to, if you haven't joined my email list, go ahead and do that, because you have your zip code on there, I don't ever... You know, I'd be lying to you right now if you joined my email list and I told you that you weren't going to get a bunch of emails, and you did. But, you know, if you've joined my email list, that I don't uh, I don't send a bunch of newsletters, I don't, like, advertise or send, like, a bunch of updates or anything like that. I only send people an email when I'm coming through their area. So, that's it. So, uh, uh, the... Maybe once, twice, uh, say three times uh, that I'm there if you're a lucky ducky in a given year. If you're in a city that I go through a lot, those are the only times you're going to hear from me. Some cities I, I might not get to you this year. So uh, uh, so you, you might forget to check back and that email list is a good way um, to kind of uh, be alerted to the show coming through your area if it's like uh, if it happens next year or something. So, anyway, that's a long-winded way of me saying, Check out all my things! Uh, <laughs> those of you that listen all the way up to the end, you are, of course, my favorites. And now I can't